All right, let's see how graceful I can be. Get up out here. <laughs> I wanted to try that straight from the floor and just jump, and then I, no, nah, better not. Better not do that. <laughs> that may be kind of ugly, and uh, I appreciate the privilege that I have to be able to share with you um, and open the Word of God today. Um, I had the privilege of uh, going on a sabbatical this year for the first time, and it was an extended sabbatical over a month. And I went from going 100 miles an hour to zero. And um, I thank the elders of this church, and I thank um, God for Chad in saying, hey, this is what we're going to do to make sure that our pastors and all of this church are healthy. And a part of that is unplugging from ministry to, to refresh and to spend time with the Lord. And um, as I did that, I walked through, and the first verse that he gave to me is, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he went back and he highlighted, come to me. We want all the benefits, but he had to teach me. He said, come to me. Come spend time with me. And so for the first week of my sabbatical, I went to a place called Potter's Place in central South Carolina, and I unplugged from everything. Um, and all I brought with me was the Word of God and my journal and some books, and I read and I slept and I prayed and spent time with God. And um, it was the most, at first, it was the hardest thing, you know, to go from 100 miles an hour to zero, all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know. Um, he, uh, so I walk through that, and um, God says, come, come. And there was things that I had to confess, and there was things that he says, come, let's spend time together. And um, as a part of this and walking through this, i give you a little tidbit of my past and where I came from that affects many times, as you know, this in development of children. What they are taught very, very young in those formative years affect them hugely into their teenage and adulthood. And it takes a whole lot of work and the grace and love of God to bring restoration of things that may have been mistaught, things that they weren't loved the way they were supposed to be, or wrong things that they were taught. So for me, in my Christian formation years, I grew up fundamental, independent, Baptist, cessationist, all that, which means cessationist, I didn't believe in all the gifts and all that, that a lot of it had ended when the canon of Scripture had been written, and that's how I grew up. So everything we believe here, that I believe here, is what I didn't believe about the, the miraculous back then. And so I went to, um, and what I say about these um, two schools that I attended, I'm not saying in anything negative about them because it was things that I took from and that affected me, but that it wasn't that they were trying to drive this. But I went to Southside Christian School and I graduated um, from Southside Christian School, as did my wife. And as I was there, we would get rewarded for how spiritual we were. So we would have a, a, an award 
the, the spirit award, the spiritual award, for who was the most spiritual. So we had two of them, for the girl and for the guy. And so you would get that. So who was it? Who waiting for that gift? Who was it? You know? And um, it was performance. It was just bred into performance of what you did. And the same thing, I, I went from Southside Christian School, and then I went to Bob Jones University. And I ter- turned my four-year um, church administration degree into five. And so I got even more out of it. And um, I will say the, the positive of it, I will say the grounding in the Word of God and the time of memorization of the Word and in the Word of God, I could not get anywhere else. I just couldn't. And I'm so grateful of that because the grounding of the Word and giving the Holy Spirit, who I did not know. I knew God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, but I sure didn't know the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it, was, it wasn't until later that I found out that I was looking for love in all the wrong places, and um, I was looking for Him, but I didn't know Him. And it was, it was like I was looking for passion, I was looking for power, I was looking for all of that, and it was, oh my, and it wasn't until the end of my education there that I started kind of bucking it. And I was like, wait a minute, the sucking up to the rules and aligning to all of that and performing well, and I could get the accolades in front of, wow, look how great you are and all. And I was like, but this is empty. There's an emptiness here that's just, it's, you know, it's religion, but it's, it's not a relationship. And it, I didn't know how to put it together. I didn't understand. And it was through time, the grace of God, the people that he brought into my life that started walking through and saying, the aspect of rules and aligning to rules is not a relationship. It's not. Doing all the right things. The word of God says, guess what? You may have been able to cast out demons and heal people, but he says, if you don't know me, I'm going to cast you out. You can do the miraculous, and I still don't know you. And it isn't until we develop that relationship, and through this sabbatical time, God has had was able to really do a mighty work to start transforming and working on some of that that he had been in the process. But he said, guess what? I've got some really concentrated time with you, Brian, so let's get to work. So in that, what I wanted to do is I wanted to share from a passage today and some things that he showed me and show you some um, comparison and contrast with the kingdom of God. So I want to go to the book of Esther And we're going to talk through in chapter 1, in chapter 2 today. So I'm going to read a bunch of scripture, and then we're going to do some comparison and contrast and pull some stuff from it. All right? You ready? Let's go to Esther 1. So this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full, how many days? 
<laughs> yeah, wow. He displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. Uh, let me sit on that for just a minute. How many days? Half a year. <laughs> Very good. Guess how long God gets to display his vast wealth and splendor and his majesty? Eternity. 180 days. He had 180 days to share it, to show it. I, God's going to have all eternity, and it is going to be awesome to have an idea of him to be able to share with us the vastness of his wealth, of his love, of his splendor, and of his glory. That is going to be awesome. Next verse. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting how many days? In the enclosed garden of the king's palace for who? All the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material and silver rings and material or in marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of, yes, I'm not going to say that word because I don't know how to pronounce it, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Can you imagine what, heaven's is, what heaven is going to be like? If he has this in scripture to give an idea of just what an earthly king would do for his people. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like? And I said this in the first service, I believe it. I mean, wine is going to be great. But I believe there is, for us coffee drinkers, a special blend that only is going to be there. Amen? <laughs> there will be a heavenly blend that we're like, oh, this is heaven. We're there finally. So... The Lord just took me back and said from this passage of Scripture, we don't know what it's like to celebrate. I just had a birthday yesterday. We celebrated. It was great. It was fun. But can you imagine celebrating for 180 days? Can you imagine feasting and drinking as much wine as you want for seven days and not getting drunk? <laughs> They did, I'm sure. <laughs> they were sloshed. <laughs> Probably. As much as you want. Well, this guy, he took two. This person, oh my word, they still haven't stopped. Um, but this king says, I want to give you and I want to show you my lavishness. 
for you. And God says, Brian, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for my people. And we have no idea in the paradigm of our mind how gracious and loving and lavish he is. It blows our mind. Read Revelation a little bit. What is going to be, what's heaven going to look like? What are you going to walk on? Where are you going to live? All of those things are just going to be so marvelous and beautiful. And being able to understand, I mean, just the time we get to spend with him. It's going to be so awesome. Awesome. So let's go to Esther chapter 2. And let's pull some from that as we go through that passage. Later, when King Xerxes fury, well, let me back up because I, I, I skipped some in chapter 1. In that, many of you may know the story. Some of you may not know the story. Well, guess what? All the guys were in. They were having their party. Queen Vashti, she has had her party with all the ladies. And all of a sudden, the king says, Queen Vashti, I want you to come to our party, and I want to show you off to all the guys. Queen goes, I'm not coming. And the king goes, no, 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 not the right answer. He talks to his officials, says, what are we going to do now? (laughs) I told her to come. She's not coming. We can't have that. You can't have this disobedient queen. If this queen is allowed to rebel, all the rest of the wives in the whole kingdom, guess what they're going to do? They're going to rebel too. So what are we going to do? They said, "Uh, king, dethrone her. She's out. Vashti's out. So he says, all right, I'm ticked off. Vashti, you're out. You're no longer queen. And this is where we are. So when his fury had subsided, he remembered her, Vashti and what she had done, and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem of the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the city of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. The young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was... Say it. Thank you. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So she was an orphan. And he took her in. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought into the city of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. 
he assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place of the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete how many? (laughs) Twelve months of beauty treatments. Described or prescribed. My word, look at that. <laughs> prescribed. This, there's this piece of paper just floating across the back here. Completed 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there. And in the morning, return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the young girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abiel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. I just want to sit there for a minute. How did she differentiate herself than the others right there? Others could choose anything, and she could too choose anything. What did she decide to do? I am going to take counsel from probably the one that knows him the best, and I am going to take what pleases him. And for us and for me, so I don't forget this, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that will speak to us and say, Going into the presence of Abba, Father, here is what I counsel you to do. And we must listen and follow. It's not the aspect of following a bunch of rules to please the king. It's about following and listening to counsel and going before him. So... Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head, And made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet. For all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces. And distributed gifts with royal liberty. In that aspect right there. The favor of the king doesn't just benefit you. It benefits others. 
if you will allow and accept the favor of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it isn't just for your favor. It will, it will affect those around you, whether they're believers or non-believers. It will affect them if you will accept it. In this, as I, as I walked through and looked at this passage, the thing, that, and Chad has been talking about it with the two trees, one of the things that I find many times, and I found in my own life, is that going through and receiving the favor of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is that many times if I am not staying connected with him in intimacy, I will naturally fall back into orphan. I will fall back into orphan thinking. I will fall back into look at my pain. My mother and father were killed. Look at this. Instead of looking at, look whose family I'm a part of. I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has provided everything for me. He's provided for me the garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. It's nothing that I have done and nothing you have done. I've done nothing. He's given them to you and me. In the aspect of Esther, and the same thing for us, he gives out the call. He sends the call to all of us to say, come. The thing with this story is the virgins didn't have a choice, right? <laughs> you buck this decree and it could be off with your head. You're dead. But submitting to the call of God to come into relationship with him through the work of Jesus Christ, because no man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ and his finished work and what he has done. You come through to Abba, Father, the King of Kings, and you receive from him. He says, guess who provides the beauty treatments? Who pays for them? Did Esther? Who? The king. Who provides the place for Esther to stay? Who provides the food for her to eat? Who provides the clothes for her to wear? The king. Go back and apply that to us, and we will many times get it wrong because we think, based on what we do, that we're the ones that provide the home over our head. We're the ones that do it. Because of our performance, then we get this reward. And we will many times take the persona of this kingdom and we will reflect it upon the kingdom of God. And God says, no, here is my kingdom. I am the king and I provide it all. And he said to me, he said, Brian, you need to change the way you think. And I need to take you back to Ephesians 5. So we're going to go to Ephesians 5 and I want you to read the thing that he spoke to me. And he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her what? 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What was the king doing with Esther and all of those women for 12 months? Beauty treatments, right? Why? According to chapter 5 of the passage we just read. I want to present back to me without spot, without blemish, without those things. I want to present the most beautiful, the most fragrant, smelling, the most beautiful woman there is. God says, I need, to change, I need you to change the way you think. I need you to think like a bride. I need you to think like a woman. I said, but God, you made me to be a man. <laughs> and he said, no, I need you to think like the bride. I am the bridegroom. You're the bride. Let me pursue you. Let me clothe you. Let me take you through the beauty treatments so I can present you back to myself as holy, as set apart. Because when I do that and you willingly submit to it, is it fun? Not always. <laughs> Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's no fun. In the aspect of Esther, she had to submit to the plan of God to save his people. Just, it's very similar to the story of Joseph. Takes Joseph from nowhere and says, I'm going to take you from a prison and I'm going to put you right up to the second. You know? Why? I want to save my people. And God goes, are you and I willing to be the bride of Christ and submit to his beauty treatments so that we can be presented back to him, set apart, holy, blameless, beautiful, fragrant to him in his presence. It's what he wants. It's what he wants. And he said, I need you to change the way you think. But then many times I would get into it and I would say, yeah, but guess what? Dear God, this is a competition for your, for your attention. There's a competition here. Like Esther, who's going to be the favorite? Who gets to be close to the king? Who gets to have intimacy with the king? Well, guess what? The one that protects and does the best, does all the rules, does all this, guess what? They get all the applause, right? With our king goes, no, 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 no. You can't think like this. You can't think like this. You have to think that I love and I chose you. But guess what? I chose this other bride, and I chose this bride, and I chose this bride. And guess what? I am not limited by time. I'm not limited by space. I'm not limited in my love. I am not limited. Brian, you limit me. Don't do it. I am am unfathomable, and we'll even do it many times. I've had um, 
some people coming to our house recently. Our dishwasher flooded all over our wood floors, so you have all these people coming in to do all this, to look at it. And um, I had one guy come in, and he had family in Puerto Rico. And in this, I, I tell you this for this reason. He's there crying out for family in Puerto Rico that they may have to open a dam and they've already had to, done, had to do this in the past to let water flow and they can't get communication to all of them. He said some of them just could be washed away in their homes and everything. So I said, let's pray. Let's pray right now. And many times as believers, we can sit here and we can pray for things like that but then we won't say, well, I, dear God, I don't want to turn your attention away from the people in Puerto Rico and what they're dealing with. So I'm just not going to come to you and say and bring to you my request. And, it's, and we limit God and we limit in our thinking that, guess what? God is bigger. <laughs> he can handle them in Puerto Rico. At the same time, he can handle you and what you're dealing with at home. He's that big and vast. And we've got to change the way we think and how we limit him because he says, I love those people in Ethiopia that are dying of starvation, those children in Haiti that need the food that we'll be presenting and sending them. I care for them just as much as I care for you in the United States and what you have in plenty. You have different problems than they do, but you both need me. Will you submit to me? And the other thing that he, that he did is, um, is he said, Brian, I want you to be willing to submit into the, as me, the king, and you, the bride, I need you to be willing to submit up underneath me. And I give it all to you and I lay it all down. And one of the things that he asked me to do, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, all right? So just know that up front. He asked me on my sabbatical, he says, I want you to go back to the apartment that you're staying in, and I want you to strip naked, and I want you to lay down before me. Awkward. (laughs) Awkward. So... I said, yes, Lord. Yes, you ask. I will do it. I went back, stripped naked, and he goes, and you're not laying on your face either, buddy. You're laying face up to me. I'm like, ah. (laughs) And I said, I'm yours. I'm yours. And in that vulnerability, that vulnerable place, he says, I love you. That's how good he is. He who gave his own son Jesus Christ loves you. He says, just be vulnerable. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to perform. You don't. He says, come. Come to me. Lay down. 
lay down before me. Accept me. He says, first, here's what you got to do first, though. First step is you got to accept my son. You've got to accept my precious gift that I have given on your behalf because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life and he loves you. He says, you must accept him. He says, accept my call, accept my wooing into relationship through my Holy Spirit, who is your counselor and will guide you into all truth. He will guide you to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you to the Father. And you can have intimate relationship with him. An intimate relationship with him. So as a person who has grown up into the church, from the first that I can remember. We were the three, I mean, the doors were open, the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's, that was my life for years. Paul said it best when he says, I throw it all aside as rubbish. I throw all of that away as rubbish. Why to do this? To know you. To know you in relationship. So my invitation as I ask the prayer servants to come is to say, will you accept, number one, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to step into relationship and it's not about your performance, it's about your acceptance. That's one. Number two, Will you accept vulnerability before God and said, I'm tired. Some of you are wiped out from religious activity, from performance. Will you come? If you need someone to pray for you um, in regard to you're dealing with something or you say, hey, I'm having this physical issue and I want to be prayed for, come. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you chose us before the foundations of this earth. You chose us. You chose me. And I pray that you, as you continue to pursue, that we will accept, that we will be your bride, that we will submit to your beauty treatments, that we will submit to your wooing of a loving relationship with you, our Father. And we praise you and thank you for your goodness and your love for us. And all God's people said, amen.